Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to study science. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to start with something that many of you have heard about. In We're going to talk about, to begin with, on the gut-brain connection. The In the Bible, you have the first area of the gut-brain connection that I know of, or the first place spoken of, is in the book of Daniel. And you may have seen this before, but there's a book called The History of Epidemiologic Methods and Concepts. And in this book, it says that Daniel chapter 1 is possibly the first clinical trial in all of recorded history. It's quite fascinating, don't you think? And it says here, this is from this is from the United States National Library of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health, the most well-funded medical institution on the planet, something like $26 billion budget every single year. We see here talking about the evolution of clinical research, a history before and beyond by James Lind. And in this article, it says the world's first clinical trial is recorded in the book of Daniel in the Bible. And then it talks about the experiment. We're going to do a quick overview, and most of you know it, so we're not going into any detail. But you may remember the story in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's taken from Babylon, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and he goes into a three-year educational system whereby the king gives him his best food in the kingdom, which would have been probably a standard Babylonian diet, you know, a standard uh, probably animal-based diet with a mixture of maybe unclean foods or what the Jews would later on call common foods. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. There were certain things that Daniel knew he was not to eat. And so he said, I'm I'm sorry, I can't do this. And so Daniel, uh, this is where we have the first test in Daniel chapter 1 verse 12, where it says, prove thy servants or test your servants. This is that first clinical trial that we know of in all of recorded history. It says, prove thy servants, I beseech thee 10 days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And we know that pulse are simply things that are grown from seeds. So Daniel and his friends go on a plant-based diet. What is the result of this diet he went on? In Daniel chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, it says, Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. So what happened here is that Daniel and his friends, as they changed their diet, what is taking place within their diet, which is affecting their guts, seems to be actually impacting their brain. Very, very fascinating. And who would have guessed that this has actually been replicated in our day? Now, I'm going to show you a video clip here, just one second. But the main thing that folks should be concerned about is how working. long you live and how likely you are to get disease. And there have been three major studies published on this subject, big meta-analyses. And these meta-analyses, and only three big ones have been published, they show consistently that low-carb diets, in other words, low-plant food diets, high animal food diets, consistently they show that they're associated with more heart disease and more death, more mortality 
if you look around the world and you look at these people in the blue zones, the the average percentage of calories from carbs range from ranges from about 50% to about 80%. It, carbs are not the enemy. Refined carbs are the enemy. Now, there have been a number of recent studies. Uh, Dr. Beesholt uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, first she did an observational study showing that plant-based diet actually significantly improves your depression and anxiety stress score. It's called a DASS score. So the mood actually is improved when you get the right amount of carbohydrates, but also the right type of carbohydrates and less protein. Then she followed up with an interventional study, and that's where she took people who are not on a plant-based diet and put them on a plant-based diet for two weeks. She also put them on a plant-based diet plus fish for two weeks to see which one would be superior. And it turned out the fish diet wasn't any more superior than the carnivore diet. But the plant-based diet, significant dramatic changes, statistically significant changes in just two weeks in their mental ability. We see when people go on this diet and drink plenty of water, get plenty of rest, follow these natural remedies, that they, it's just like something snaps in their brain. And it doesn't take like weeks or months. Plant-based diet is key in our program for depression and anxiety recovery. The results are outstanding because it's a comprehensive approach, not just diet. We also utilize exercise and we're utilizing correct thoughts and a lot of different modalities. But the diet is a key element. I went on a plant-based diet about five weeks ago. It's amazing because I, even if they had, had not told me he had the diet change, the first thing I noticed was he was bringing his schoolwork in. And my teacher has actually been bragging on how much better I've been behaving since I've been on the diet. In class, he wasn't getting as distracted that he was paying attention, he was able to listen more closely, he was being alert, his discernment was better, uh, he was more diligent, everything. I can pay attention more, my mind is more clear since I've been on the diet. It's just a, a huge improvement. And I also noticed he lost a lot of weight, I mean, but the main things I noticed was behavioral. A study in a middle school has showed clearly that switching the menu from animal source plant source diet, almost eliminated absenteeism, um, increased and en enhanced attention and homework performance and performance at school. It, it almost eliminated acts of violence as well as teen pregnancies. And so they just feel better everywhere the blood flows, everywhere that perfect circulation goes, they feel better, not just in body, but in mind, clears up their thoughts even. And every single day since I've been on a plant-based diet, the clarity continues to increase, and my face continues to look younger, and I, my body feels like I feel like I look more vibrant. I, I've looked at pictures of myself before and after, and I look five years older, even just ten months ago, than I do now. What we eat does get turned into neurotransmitters. It actually helps us or hurts us, depending on what we're eating in regards to our brain chemistry and it plays a vital role in health of the brain. They'll say within three or four days, they, 
they seem to have clarity. They get, they're, they're alert. They, they, can, they listen in class better. They absorb more, and they do better on their tests. The fog has been lifted out of my head. I think clear. I've got better ideas, I believe. Um, I, can, I can put two and two together faster. And just in general, I'm happy. In fact, diet alone, studies show that diet alone will reduce your depression and anxiety scores by half just by dramatically changing your diet to a plant-based. And so that's significant. Now, we go for more than just half, and so that's why we have a whole program that, that includes more than this. Uh, but just the diet alone will make a big difference. You don't have to choose between high-quality living and longevity. It's the same program, the same New Start approach to living helps you live longer and it helps you live better. All right, wasn't that, were you all able to hear it? Sorry about that. Isn't that interesting? How these young people's lives were changed. And that one young man that we recorded, it was just five weeks. Five weeks is all it took. And it changed his performance in school, his behavior. And so we're seeing this gut-brain connection is really clear. We saw that, Chad said, in the book of Daniel. It worked for Daniel and his friends. And now, in today's age, we're seeing it work also for young people today. Um, or not just young people, but young and old alike. So what is it about this gut-brain connection um, that is so intriguing, right? I mean, we, anywhere you go, people are just like, I want to know more about this gut-brain connection. What's it all about? Uh, do you know the Bible, not only in the book of Daniel, uh, understood this connection, but also in Lamentations 1.20, it says, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress, my bowels are troubled. And, you know, we laugh at that because I think we're so disconnected today with our, our mind and our bodies that we just think that's funny. But they really, I think, understood that. They understood the connection. Jeremiah 4.19 says, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. Wow, how interesting. And science is proving these things. Did you know that approximately 90% of the information that goes between the vagus nerve and, and the brain, the, from the gut to the brain, through the vagus nerve, 90% of it is from the gut to the brain and not the opposite. So whatever's going on down here has a big influence on what's going on up here. And you're going to start to see why this is such an important connection. And uh, look at this. Not only the Bible, but the spirit of prophecy tells us something very interesting. And had we read this quote a number of years ago, we would have scoffed at it. But today, cutting-edge science is showing us that it is true. It says, The abuses of the stomach by the gratification of the appetite are a fruitful source of what? Most church trials. Isn't that a wild statement? But if you look at the science today, it's not that wild. Uh, if we're understanding how much the gut has influenced us, uh, people are starting to think twice about what treatment they're giving their patients due to this connection, right? 
Scientists have discovered that a high-fat diet leads to depressive, anxious symptoms in mice. It also promotes inflammation, and inflammation is one of the markers for depression, right? As well as other lifestyle diseases, but one of them is depression. So they did a study, and they had some mice, and uh, they put these mice on a high-fat diet. And what happened to these mice after a time, they, they did all these tests on them to see what, what they can do. And they realized that they started to have, while they were on the high-fat diet, impaired memory, uh, repetitive behaviors, and inflammation. And these are all things that people have when they're depressed, right? You think about it. Uh, impaired memory. Uh, inflammation and repetitive, you know, people think about the same thing over and over and over, can't, can't let it go. So they noticed these things in these mice that had high fat uh, diet. And then they had another group that it was on a regular fat diet. And these mice did not exhibit any of these behaviors. But this is what's interesting. What they did is they took the gut bacteria from the high-fat diet mice, and they transplanted it into the regular fat diet mice's uh, guts, and what do you think happened to their behavior then? Same thing. The regular uh, diet mice, the regular fat diet mice that were given those microbes, this is what happened. They started to have anxiety, impaired memory, repetitive behaviors, and inflammation. Isn't that interesting? So there's something about the microbes that are in your gut that affect your behavior, that affects your mind, right? And you saw that in this study where the mice were given that transplant. Look what it says here in child guidance. It says, eating too frequently, too much, and of rich, unwholesome food destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs. But what else does it do? Affects the brain and perverts the judgment preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. Wow, this is just amazing stuff that we're seeing this connection, right? That what's going on in our gut is really affecting our minds. But we continue. This one is really encouraging to me, this next um, quote. It says, it cannot be too often repeated that whatever is taken into the stomach affects not only the body, but ultimately the mind as well. This is the part that I just love and that's encouraging to me and I'll tell you why. It is difficult and often well nigh, what? Impossible for one who is intemperate in diet to exercise what? Patience and self-control. Do you see the connection there? So if you're intemperate in, in diet, it's hard for you to have patience and self-control. You know, some of us might think like, oh, that just seems so hard. But to me, it's good news because when I'm having a rough day or I'm uh, cranky or, or upset or easily upset, this gives me hope to realize, okay, I need to step back, pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what have I been doing? Have I been intemperate? You know, is there something I could do differently? And I start to pray and I ask God for help because I realize, I'm not doing well, right? But sometimes we are, are um, tempted to think, well, it's just me. I'll never change. Um, I just, it's in my family. This is how we are. 
right? Sometimes we're tempted to think that and then we just give up. But here it's telling us that if we're intemperate, let's say you didn't get enough sleep that night, right? How, how patient can you be the next day when you have a lack of sleep? It's difficult. But this is a biblical principle, right? Second Peter 1, 5 and 6, it says, it's the stepping ladder of faith, right? It says, and add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And what comes after temperance? And to temperance patience. Exactly. So it's very difficult for us to have patience when we haven't been temperate, especially to our guts, right? Especially to our guts. This is interesting. This is from Scientific American, and it says, think twice how the gut's second brain influences mood and well-being. They're calling our guts the second brain. This is what it says. It says the second brain informs our state of mind in other more obscure ways as well. A big part of our emotions are probably influenced by the nerves in our gut. Butterflies in the stomach signaling in, in the gut as part of our physio physiological stress response, Gershon says, but is of but one example. Although GI turmoil, listen to this, can sour one's moods, everyday emotional well-being may rely on the messages from the brain below to the brain above. Isn't that interesting? They're calling it the second brain, our gut, and that the second brain has more influence on the brain above than we think, right? Powerful. And then it says um, it can sour your mood, right? Look at what this says in Councils on Diet and Foods. People who have a sour stomach are very often of a sour disposition, Everything seems to be contrary to them, and they are inclined to be peevish and irritable. If we would have peace among ourselves, we should give more thought than we do to having a peaceful stomach. Wow, you're going to hear how this personally has affected our lives, our marriage. Um, it's just, and this is why we're here today. This is why you're hearing this. It's because it, it personally has made a difference in our lives. Praise be to God. We are so happy that, that we've gone through what we've gone through because it made us really look for answers. And because of that, we're here today to share it with people. And we prayed. We're like, Lord, if you want people to hear this, you open up doors for us to share it. And he has done that. So we continue. It says two-thirds of your immune system is found in your gut. So it affects not only, you know, the gut-brain connection, but it, it affects your overall health right? If two thirds of your immune system is found in your gut. And if any of you travel, you know, going great distances between time zones, you'll understand this. We, we go through this quite often uh, when we're traveling 12 hour changes and your stomach's so upside down and your schedule's upside down, you really feel it. Uh, you're more liable to get sick and maybe even have some stomach issues. But anyway, this is really neat. It was a study done on C-section babies. And C-section babies st statistically have a higher uh, disease of rate, I mean, rate of disease. And this study was in the journal Pediatrics, and it was a big study. Two million babies were studied over 35 years. Okay, so this is not just a little study. It was a big study. And what they found is that C-section babies have higher rates of allergies, asthma, bowel disorders, 
rheumatism, and leukemia. Wow. Uh, Chad was also a C-section baby, and he had all of these, except the leukemia, praise the Lord. (laughs) Um, But rheumatism, I mean, he wasn't diagnosed, but he grew up always having achy joints, and he never understood. He just thought that's part of life. He's like, I guess just everybody has achy joints and never thought anything of it. Well, praise the Lord, I'll tell you, he doesn't have achy joints anymore, and he'll tell you how that worked out. But isn't it interesting Why do you think that these babies have all these issues? What happens when you have a C-section? You don't go through the birth canal, right? (laughs) When you don't go through the birth canal, what is it you're not being inoculated with? Mommy's bacteria, right? You naturally are getting, that's, that's where you're getting inoculated with the bacteria. You're getting all that healthy bacteria to get you going. But guess what? If you're a C-section baby, what's the first bacteria you're getting? From the doctor's gloves, right? From the hospital. Just like, wow, that's kind of rough. So um, you understand why these these things, you're seeing a trend here of gut bacteria has a lot to do with how life turns out in terms of not just our brain, but also our our health. Well, um, Today, some, some what they're doing is swabbing the mom and then, and then, you know, swabbing the child in all the crevices and stuff to make sure that they're getting some of that natural bacteria from mom. So that, that's one of the things that they're trying to do with C-section babies. So that's good news. But they also see a surprising link between gut germs and toddler's tantrums. Isn't this interesting? And you know, it's so funny. After we learn this, Chad and I, um, when we're looking at kids, we start really like, oh, that kid's got good gut bacteria. <laughs> That's literally what we do now. Because you see, some kids are super social, and you just want to like, is it all personality? You know? But when, once we realize this, you see a difference in, in uh, children depending on what their diet is, right? Some kids have a really good diet, and what this study showed is that... Um, if you have a diversity of gut bacteria, you're, you're going to have less tantrums. You're going to be more social, not as cranky, uh, just even keel kind of kid. And those that had less diversity of gut bacteria, they found to have more tantrums and um, not as happy and antisocial. Isn't that interesting? So, so you see that gut bacteria plays a part in in our mental health and more uh, chad will come up and share more about that in just a moment but uh, so now the question is if you want a good ratio of good bacteria in your gut what should you do right what should you do and to answer that chad's going to come up all right We're going to keep moving forward. So if you want to have better intestinal bacteria, what should you do? Well, this is take this this next article is taken from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which is headed out by Dr. Neil Barnard, who's worked with the United States government. And uh, he's, you know, done studies on diabetes and various things. And uh, from Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, an article on their website from, from 2015 is, Vegan Diets Lead to Healthier Intestinal Bacteria. And the question is, why? 
what the scientists have discovered is that if you look at if you look at plant foods that plant foods have each each plant has its own diversity of gut bacteria so they may have some similar ones but they'll have different ones that other plants do not have and so in order to get a diversity meaning you wouldn't want to just eat apricots you want to eat you know peaches plums and various things because you get a diversity of the bacteria with this and what does this do one of the things it does is it lowers inflammation in the body when you have a diversity of the gut bacteria and if you think about this for a moment this makes logical sense from a biblical perspective because in the bible the bible talks about in genesis chapter 1 in the very beginning in verse 29 it says and god said behold i have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat in the king james or food in the newer translations and so in in the garden of eden god gave them a diversity of plant foods now if you think about this also think just for a moment the garden of eden now the word eden in the hebrew language that the bible was originally written in the word eden means pleasure so it was the garden of pleasure. So you would expect that the food that God gave Adam and Eve would be the food that would actually bring true happiness and true pleasure to humanity. And this is exactly what we see today. And now one of the components of this, this is taken from the Bulgari Bulgarian Journal of Plant Physiology. And the title, it's kind of hard for you to see because it's quite small, but the title of this review is that animal neurotransmitter substances are found in plants animal neurotransmitter substances are found in plants now that right there is very interesting meaning obviously uh you know when when we're talking to you know uh you know the common man instead of calling them neurotransmitters to them we just call them brain chemicals to make it very simple but think about it the chemicals that our brains need to help us feel good to make good decisions and to live a healthy lifestyle these things are actually found in plant-based foods and especially think about it if the closer you get them to their whole form right uh, because we can take many things components out of fruits and vegetables so then they end up not being as healthy but when they're in their whole form when they're in their natural form they can still be cooked but they have these neurotransmitters that are in there so let's think about this for a moment now within the context of what we've just seen in these babies or i should say toddlers that were more likely to have tantrums that had less diversity of gut bacteria a study was now done on alcoholics and bacteria within their gut their microbiome what did they discover you could probably I, I, before we even look at it you can probably guess they found that they looked at alcoholics and they found alcoholics with two different kinds of uh you know makeup of their microbiome of their bacteria within their gut one group had less diversity or one group had less and one group had more now what group do you think struggled to overcome the alcohol more than the other the one with less diversity that's exactly what was found now, it was a small study but this is in the proceedings of the national academy of sciences and they revealed an imbalance of gut bacteria they took 60 alcoholics and they had they noticed that 24 had lower levels of bacteria in their guts and after 19 days alcohol free those with lower levels of bacteria had higher levels of anxious feeling depression and desire for alcohol and the 36 participants with better gut flora were doing better isn't that that's very powerful i mean this is just fascinating to think about so could it be that one of the components that could actually help addicts overcome addiction could be the components that are found in plant-based foods especially if they were to eat a diversity 
of them. You know, it's interesting. I was sharing this with a man who is a meth addict out in California. And one of the things he said to me, and I know because I, have, I, I was never a meth addict, but I used to struggle with smoking and drinking. And uh, one of the things he said to me, which was quite fascinating, he says, every true addict has a terrible diet. Isn't that interesting? And that was just coming from an addict, you know, like, you know, as he thought about it. And let's go forward, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, fruit and vegetables may help combat drug addiction. Now, if God knew these things, maybe he could have just told us this. That would have been helpful. Guess what? He did. He did. Check this out. This is taken from Councils and Diet and Foods. In our medical institutions, clear instructions should be given in regard to temperance. The patient should be shown the evil of intoxicating liquor and the blessing of total abstinence. They should be asked to discard the things that have ruined their health and the place of these, or in place of things like alcohol or maybe cigarettes or whatever's ruined their health, in the place of these things should be supplied with an abundance of fruit. Oranges, lemons, prunes, peaches, and many other varieties can be obtained for the Lord's world is productive if painstaking effort is put forth. Isn't that amazing? That we were told these things over a hundred years ago. We had no science to back it up. You could only take it based upon faith. And she said, what if our institutions would actually teach people to eat this way? It may help people who are addicts be able to better overcome their addiction. And I'm going to share more about this as we go forward. This is a study done in uh, the University of Queensland in Australia. And the title of the study is that fruit is a depression buster for women. Now, what does that mean? What they found is that women who ate higher levels of fruit had lower levels of depression. Fascinating. This right here is taken from the Journal of Neuropsychiatry of Clinical Neuroscience in the fall of 2010. And the title here is that depression and fruit treatment. Depression and fruit treatment. Now, these medical professionals here are talking about how the fact that they're, once again, these neurotransmitter substances are found in plants. So they just, you know, quickly to give, and you can't read it probably, but it says there's some high content sources of serotonin, melatonin, and tryptophan, which can provide the body with these substances. Uh, it says these include plantains, pineapples, bananas, kiwis, plums, tomatoes for serotonin, and it goes on. Just giving these things. And so if people were to eat a healthier diet, a greater diversity of these plant-based foods, could it actually make them calmer and less likely to struggle with depression and addiction? And they go on to talk about an even potentially suicidal depression. So this is very, very fascinating. So is there a connection between happiness and fruit? Now, in the Garden of Eden, it would seem like there was. But we're going to look at this. This, this is a uh, study that was done. At, this is in the British Journal of Health Psychology, January of 2013. It says many apples a day keep the blues away. Now, the study was not that you have to eat several apples every day and then you'll be happier. It was actually, they just, you, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. They were going along with that, the old adage. But what they found is that the, the more, uh, eat, with each additional piece of fruit or vegetable, each uh, serving of fruit or vegetable that you eat in a day actually increases your happiness, but it will also foretell how happy you'll be the next day. So it was actually something that could forecast the next day's happiness. And so initially it was done, it was a smaller study, and then they actually made it a larger study where they were somewhere around four or 5,000 people. So it started off small, got a bit bigger. And the sec one of the second studies, this, or this might have been from the second study here, 
from the American Journal of Public Health. This is the chart that was found in there showing the level of happiness based upon how many pieces of fruit or vegetables you eat in a day. If you eat zero, you're at the least happy that you, could, you would potentially statistically be. Then if you ate one, you would become a tiny bit happier. If you ate two, you become, you know, it starts to actually make a difference now. Three, it continues up with four, five, six, seven, eight pieces of fruit or vegetable, and you can actually choose how happy you're going to be tomorrow. <laughs> so this is quite good news, right? And so, um, you know, I I'm guessing they didn't really find people eating more than eight pieces of fruits or vegetables in a day. My wife and I do, you know, we actually do it, and it actually is amazingly beneficial. It's totally changed our lives. I'll give you a testimony at the end. Um, but, you know, here's seven a day for mental health, you know, as we look at this. I'm going to share you something. This is more a uh, couple of preliminary studies that I've found, very fascinating. Um, spicy food. Now, I'll tell you, I grew up in a house where we loved spicy food. I'm, and I'm not talking like kind of spicy. I'm talking crazy spicy. Uh, I grew up eating, you know, loved pork, loved these different kinds of food. And my dad to this day, he loves his insanely spicy food. Uh, still loves his pork and squid and whatever he eats. But, um, and we can sit down at a meal and I can eat my plants and he can eat his food and we can still have a good time together. And we should be kind to each other even if we eat differently. Amen. Amen? You know, but regardless, one of the things... now. I found two specific studies that were done on spicy food. One of them was looking at males, men, and what they found is that they could actually tell how spicy some men would like their food based upon a certain aspect of their character. So spice could actually affect character. That's interesting. Uh, another study is that they were looking at one particular spice and seeing its effect on sexual function. Now, notice what we have been told some years ago, over 100 years ago. It says, and this, this once again sounds kind of crazy, but with all we're seeing right here, it doesn't seem so crazy. Notice this. It says, a similar condition is produced under the irritating influence of fiery spices. When the stomach is in such a state, there is a craving for something more to, to meet the demands of the appetite, something stronger and still stronger. Next, you will find your sons out on the street learning to smoke. What does that have to do with spicy food? Could it be that there is a gut-brain connection? It says, now we know that it can affect character. We already know that now. It is a grievous lesson, and it makes them deathly sick, yet they press the matter through with the perseverance that would be praiseworthy and a better cause. And then she goes on to talk about the negative effects of tobacco weakens the brain and paralyzes its fine sensibilities. Its use excites a thirst for strong drink and in very many cases lays the foundation for the liquor habit. And it's so interesting. This is exactly the progress that I took into becoming a heavy drinker. Before, you know, went into the smoking, loved all the spice. And, and you say, oh, you know, that's one person. No question. I'm just one human. I can't claim that this is proof right here. But now science is beginning to show that spices actually can affect character. So could it be that these things will, and, and the fascinating thing, I don't think any of these studies were done by Adventists. And yet all of them are pointing out that these, these things that she told us, even very minute details seem to be more and more coming to pass. She says, spices at first irritate the tender coating of the stomach, but finally destroy the natural sensitive of this sensitiveness of this delicate membrane. 
The blood becomes fevered, the animal propensities are aroused, while the moral and intellectual powers are weakened and become servants to the baser passions. Now, my wife and I, we love to just test things. Because when you read Ellen White's writings, you realize, number one, she's very balanced, doesn't tell people to overnight become a vegan. Doesn't even tell them to overnight become a vegetarian. It's just making progressive steps towards health. And so what my, my wife and I have learned to do is just test things. And she talks about that. She says, test things, see what works. And so we tried this. We went a couple months with zero spices. Now, what we've discovered is if I eat spicy food today, I notice no difference today, none. The effect I actually noticed the day after or the next day. We've noticed this over and over and over. What we found is, so we went a couple months with no spices whatsoever, literally none. And then, then we were uh, doing some ministry work in Michigan, and we had an Indian couple who had come to some meetings we were presenting, and they invited us out to Indian food. I like Indian food. I like super spicy food, but I had just gotten away from it for a couple months. I'll tell you, in those two months, our marriage actually got better, to be honest. But both my wife and I, we can tell you that, that we actually, we were kinder to each other. We were more calm with each other. Both of us come from backgrounds where calm is not really a word that would have been used of our families, right? And so we came, so if you come from the most happy people in the world and you're the happiest person in the world, you probably won't notice the same negative effects like someone like me. So uh, it may not be as pronounced, but somebody who comes from a, a different background, they notice it even more. So, so two months we haven't eaten any spicy food. Then we eat spicy food and that day, guess what? Nothing, just like normal. But the next day, we were absolute curmudgeons. And I, I, you know, I said something rude to my wife and you know, I had to come back and say, you know, I'm sorry if you're, for what I said. I'm sorry about that. And then she became super angry with someone else, but she was you know, good enough not to say anything to them. She was just silent in her heart, but furious inside of her about what they had done. And, uh, and then she was so troubled by it, she thought, man, I'm just about to go to church. Why, why am I so angry? And she began to cry thinking, Lord, I can't believe it. I'm so angry, you know? And I'll tell you what, so what we notice is it's not just the next day that's affected, it's affected for several days. I mean, maybe even a week. So, because we just read about the natural sensitiveness of this delicate membrane. And so then we stopped again, and I'll tell you, you think, well, that's one time. We have tried this over and over and over and over with 100%, you know, similar findings in every one of our experiences. And literally, so... Both my wife and I want to have a happy marriage, so we just don't eat spicy food really anymore unless we have to, you know. Uh, it really has made a difference for us, but we'll tell you more in a little bit. So what are some of the, what are some of the potential uh, reasons why this is happening? One of the things, yes, in the back. You touched on earlier, what's your thoughts on probiotics and similar reading and sexicultures sort of day on the probiotics? Okay, probiotics. How... How about this? I will talk, I'll do a question and answer time right at the end, and we'll, we'll, we'll mention probiotics. Um, so one of the things that they have found is that, you, you, and you probably, I mean, if you've been in medical school, you probably heard that the human body cannot digest fiber. It's true. Our bodies cannot digest fiber, but we have something in our body that can digest fiber and it's actually bacteria. And the further you go along in your digestive tract, once you get to the large intestine, uh, which is where you have the majority of bacteria within the gut, by the way, what they have found is that certain bacteria can break down, it actually, that's what it does, is it it breaks down uh, fiber. And as it does, it lets off a byproduct called short-chain fatty acids. And one of the effects of short-chain fatty acids is that they help lower inflammation 
in the body, which inflammation, as my wife mentioned, is a marker of many lifestyle diseases, but also potentially of depression. So if you want to lower your inflammation, which will lower your likelihood of having achy joints and depression and various other health or lifestyle diseases, you eat a greater diversity of whole plant food. Because keep in mind, uh, you, could, you could have you know, a donut and a can of beer and be a vegetarian or a vegan. Yes or no? Yes, you can. But are you going to be feeding your good bacteria the fiber that it needs by eating a diet like that? No, you're not. So you want to learn to get it in, a, in, a, in a, as close to a whole form as possible. So notice this quotation here. Uh, we're talking about a dyspeptic stomach and a dyspepsia is of or having indigestion or consequent irritability or depression. Notice this from Council's Diet Foods. It says... For a dyspeptic stomach, you may place upon your tables fruits of different kinds, but not too many at one meal. So you don't want to have too great a diversity at one meal. That's one of the things she talks about. You do want a diversity, but just not such a great diversity at one meal. And so if you have trouble with your stomach, fruit is fantastic for it. And she said it would be well for us to do less cooking and eat more fruit in its natural state. Let us eat freely of fresh grapes, apples, peaches, oranges, blackberries, and all other kinds of fruit which can be obtained. So getting a diversity of these foods, fruit or vegetables, because the study on how that of eight different fruits or vegetables a day, it's fruit or vegetables, just to make a clarification there. Now, one of the things we talk about is resetting the stomach. And this is a quotation here, once again from 189 Councils and Diet and Foods. It says, in many cases of sickness, the very best remedy is for the patient to fast for a meal or two. Notice it's not necessarily a week or two, but to fast for a meal or two, that the overworked organs of digestion may have an opportunity to rest. And then what? Well, she says, a fruit diet for a few days. She doesn't say do it forever, but a fruit diet for a few days has often brought great relief to brain workers. Many times a short period of entire abstinence from food followed by simple, moderate eating has led to recovery through nature's own recuperative effort. Then she says an abstemious diet for a month or two would convince many sufferers that the path of self-denial is the path to health. Fascinating. So what are some of the things she suggests here? Just a quick review of it. Number one, she says, uh, fast. If you struggle, and you may say, well, I don't feel that I have any stomach pain. Maybe I don't have any issue with the gut-brain connection. We found that it doesn't have to do with pain in my stomach. It's not that I even feel necessarily some negative impact on my stomach, but it still affects my character. This is what we've discovered. So to fast for a meal or two to let your stomach rest, Number two, eat more whole fruits. Now, the caution we make is really not a caution. That would be if you know you're a type two diabetic, you might want a caution. But notice some of the latest research that's actually come out. This is taken from the British Medical Journal from a study of over 100,000 people. And what they found is that fruit consumption actually lowers your chances of having type two diabetes. So except for potentially some people with cantaloupe and very few people with strawberries. But even half of those people, half of people you know, who eat cantaloupe just about have lower chances of diabetes. Strawberries generally lower their chances of type two diabetes a little more. Oranges lower your chances of type two diabetes more. Peaches, plums, and apricots lower it even more. Uh, grapefruit more, bananas more, apples and pears more, prunes. Notice prunes, which are dried what? Plums, lower your chances of type 2 diabetes more than f fresh plums. 
Fruit can actually, dried fruit can actually be fantastic, potentially even for type 2 diabetic. And guess what? I'll show you a quote later. Ellen White actually says that we can eat more dried fruit than is customary with best results to health. Isn't that interesting? And what we see, same thing here. So apples and pears lower your chances more, prunes more, grapes and raisins. So even dried grapes are still, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic for potentially even type 2 diabetics. Blueberries obviously lower it even more. So fruit actually, but we do say, you know, if your doctor tells you not to, you know, work with your doctor. We're not your doctor. So I'm not a doctor, actually. So let's go forward. Um, number two, so eat more whole fruits. Number three, eat more whole grains. Eat more whole grains. That could be whole wheat bread, oatmeal, or other well-cooked grains. So you want to eat your grains well-cooked. Um, yeah, we'll go on. Also, eat more whole vegetables. When we say whole, that doesn't mean that it has to be raw. It just means in its whole form. You're not taking the sugar out of the beet. You know, that's where we get most of our sugar in North America today is from beets, sugar beets. You, you eat the whole beet. You cook the beet, eat it, and you enjoy it. I mean, if you want to eat it raw, you could do that too. But eat more whole ve vegetables. The next one is avoid spicy food. And like I said, you won't notice a difference within a day or two. It takes a while. It takes several days to start making any impact, especially as you're actually having your stomach, um, you know, get over it. And also eating a handful of nuts a day. I think it's about the study that showed the neuroprotective benefits of nuts is about, I think it's about 40 grams a day. It's right around a handful. And they found that no additional like quantities of nuts added any additional benefit. And interestingly enough, Ellen White says to eat nuts sparingly, right? So you don't want to eat massive quantities of nuts. Nuts are fantastic for you, but you just, you know, eat them sparingly. Now, I'm going to close with two things, this particular message, before we go on to our second message. And this is taken from the Victor Valley Medium Community Correctional Facility in Adelanto, California. I think they could not have thought of a longer name for a prison than this. But... And, you know, someone raise your hand. Does that mean you're from this area? Are you, are you from this area? You helped that place. Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you. Let me talk to you later, bro. No, not right now, but after the, after the message. I want to talk to you. So check this out. This is so very powerful. This was a 500 inmate prison. Uh, 500 inmates in there. And they allowed them, they, they separate. Now, this was run by a Seventh-day Adventist businessman out of California. And the California Department of Corrections invited him in because he's a successful businessman. And, and so he must have put a bid in saying, I can run it for thus and such amount of money. And they said, okay, do it. So what they did, though, is they split the pri prison into two sides that were physically separated. Meaning you were either on one side or on the other. But you got to choose what side you went in. Because... The guy's a Seventh-day Adventist, and Seventh-day Adventists believe in freedom of choice, right? And so uh, they didn't force them to say, son, you're going to be a vegan from now on, right? You actually got to choose. What happened? So they got to choose between a new start program of a vegan diet, occupational training, Bible studies, and anger management classes. But by the way, most every prison in the United States has Bible studies, yes or no? Yeah, so that's not a major difference there. But what, we, what they did have is they, they had this new start program of health principles and a vegan diet. What happened? Now, they, one of the people in the CDC in the California Department of Corrections says these men would bur rather burn the place to the ground than become vegan. And so, but remember, they gave them choice. And just guess what percentage of these guys chose to become total plant-based eaters, chose to become vegan? Take a guess. 
10, 20, whatever, it was 85% of them chose to become vegan. Because you've got to understand, prisoners, well, maybe prison food's pretty bad, but prisoners, <laughs> prisoners are rebels. So they're willing to become vegan, right? They're willing to be different than the rest of society. They're, they're willing to actually buck the trend of everybody around them. That's just my own personal thought. I have no idea if that's why they did it. But they, and they might have thought, hey, what's my hope in life anyway? If these people think vegan food will help my, me out for the rest of my life, why not give it a try, right? What if it actually helped? So check this out. At that time in California, this is insane, the, the recidivism rate in California, recidivism is the statistical rate at which someone who goes to prison for one crime after they come out will commit another crime and go back to prison. At that time in California, the recidivism, recidivism rate was 95%. Almost everybody went back to prison who went to prison one time. After going on this New Star program of Bible studies and this Adventist prison, it dropped from 95% while that prison was, was continuing under the Adventist uh, you know, uh, authority or whatever we want to say. It dropped from 95% to 2%. Wow. 2%. That is, that is amazing, isn't it? Listen, what if, what if that's actually true? What if... This could actually change the world. What if it could change the prison system? Maybe God should have told us. Guess what? He did. Check this out. Ministry of Healing 146. Wrong habits of eating and the use of unhealthful food are in no small degree responsible for the intemperance and crime and wretchedness that curse the world. Do you realize we were told all of these things beforehand? The science was written down by a person with a third grade education before any of it came out. This stuff boggles my mind. I wasn't raised in this faith. I didn't know these things. I'll be honest with you. I was annoyed with the, the spirit of prophecy when I first became an Adventist. But I tested it out. And when I compared it with science, when I, when I compare it with all of these things, I mean, it's the word of God. It is very powerful. God has given all of us this. And I'll tell you the reason why it's so important to me in closing, is a personal experience. So what happened in my own life? I didn't know all of these things in the past. I was doing ministry, traveling around. I've traveled around for the last 16 years full-time. And we were working in the country of Iceland. We lived in Iceland, and we were doing ministry there. Before that, we were living in Norway, then in Iceland. And while we were in Iceland, we, were, we noticed we had stomach trouble from the water there. And not all, by the way, not all Icelandic water is so terrible, but the house that we were in seemed to be affected. And they have two sources of water in the house. They have cold spring water, and then they have thermal waters from geothermal activity in the earth, like volcanic activity. And so you're not supposed to drink the hot water, but we think they were actually being, uh, you know, somehow fusing together in the pipes. And what ended up happening is we'd drink a glass of water, and within minutes you could just hear the rumblings in your stomach, and you'd have to rush to the toilet and empty out at that point and but we there was there was nothing else in the country at the time there, there was bottled water but they told us this is identical to what you're getting in your tap anyway and so uh, we actually ended up having to buy a distiller from the states shipping it over because they had nothing in the country because they said we have the healthiest water in the world why would you have a trouble and the doctor that my wife went to just said i don't believe it you're just nervous from traveling but we had been traveling for years so we, nerve, nerves from traveling wasn't an issue for us but we could tell it's from the water. Every time we drink it, you'd run to the toilet. Well, th for the first time in my life, I experienced seasonal depression. Now, 
no questions, multifactorial. Living in Iceland, the weather is horrid, you know. Uh, uh, don't tell the Icelanders that if you're listening on, uh, they're good friends of mine, but they love it there. Uh, for us, it was kind of harsh, but nevertheless, what happened was we had stomach trouble. I had stomach trouble. My wife had stomach trouble. Nathaniel, our friend who worked with us, he had stomach trouble. And for us, we got extremely thin. And our friend Nathaniel, he was overweight when he came. By the time he left, he looked fantastic. And so it worked well for him. It didn't work so well for me. Um, but long story short, so come down with this depression for that time in Iceland, come back to the United States, and then had seasonal depression every year. And uh, even if I was over in California for the winter and it was sunny all the time, but would have this seasonal depression. And keep in mind, I was living the eight laws of health. I was, a pl- I was eating a plant-based diet. I was running, exercising, riding bikes. I mean, I have exercised pretty consistently my entire life. And so doing the eight laws of health, the only one I would generally struggle in sometimes is going to bed on time, which is also very serious for, you know, depression. But what ended up happening was, and I think all living out all the eight laws of health, uh, including a plant-based diet, was what kept me from going worse into depression. I continued working. We've continued producing documentary films, continued traveling the world full-time, uh, but I was just totally depressed. Felt guilty all the time, uh, but just press forward. And in the very worst point of the depression, the very worst point, I, I was sitting and I was thinking about it, and I thought, if I had to live, if I have to live with this for the rest of my life, I accept it. I just have to accept it. Just, just live this way. I mean, what can you do? I mean, Because I knew that Jesus had the words of life. And there was nowhere else I could go to actually fix my problems. Meaning I was doing the best that I could, but it just wasn't working. And so, uh, but I just continued to go forward. And then I, saw, I, I, for the first time, heard just one of those extremely strange Ellen White comments. Right? And that I had never, that never noticed before. And it's, it's from 21 Manuscript Releases, page 286. She says, We are coming to the time when recipes for cooking will not be needed. For the food God gave, or for, pe- for God's people will learn that the food God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for keeping the body in a sinless state. Now that's kind of an extreme quote, don't you think? The food God gave Adam, this quote is used twice and the words are changed just a little bit on the other one. It says, as man seeks to regain the sinless state is the other way it's stated. But either way, it says that, you know, you know, less cooking or whatever and so forth. Well, I was totally depressed. And if you would have told me to stand on my head for two hours a day to get rid of the depression, I would have done it, you know? I tried all these supplements. Nothing made a lick of difference. I mean, literally no difference whatsoever. I didn't find one thing that made maybe one I thought it did for like a week. And then I was like, ah, maybe that was in my head or something like that. But it didn't really help. So when I saw this, by the way, when I saw this, it was midway through December, which if you're into seasonal depression, nobody's into it by choice. But if you happen to have it, um, that's about the worst time of year for you, right? And this, this is when I saw this, midway through December. And I just thought, the food God gave Adam in his sinless state. Well, what was pre-fall? It was a lot of fruit, wasn't it? Maybe fruits, grains, nuts, seeds, but not even veggies yet. And by the way, veggies are fantastic for you, and I still eat veggies, but just go with me for a second. So I thought, uh, I'm going to try this. So for two weeks, starting mid-December, I mean, this has been some years back now, I, I began to eat just fruits 
and I don't suggest anybody does this because most people can't handle it, but I'm an extreme person. I love exercise. I love to do, my wife says I'm the kind of person I think if one's good, 10 is better, but it's not always true. Intemperance can even be true of a good thing, right? Um, but I, for two weeks, ate just fruit. And keep in mind, for the back up a moment. So for the last two years, 10 years total of depression, uh, seasonal, eight in, a, eight in a row, and then two years solid depression. Now the last two, what happened was, is I ended up getting bit by a tick and you know we're driving down the road through Tennessee and I got this big fat tick on my leg, you know, and I, I thought, oh no, there's a tick. So I plucked the thing out and I crush it on the side of the road. And uh, then I, my doctor friend said, here, you know, take some antibiotics just for safety's sake. I said, okay, no problem. So I took the antibiotics. And um, you may not know this, but they did a study and they looked at for every round of depression or every round of antibiotics that you take, it increases your chances of depression by right about 25%. For every two to five rounds of antibiotics you take, it increases your chances of depression by close to 50%. So I didn't know that and I took the antibiotics and then I went into two years of solid and actually got bit by takes two years in a row, and my friend gave me the antibiotics two years in a row. So for two years in a row, it was solid depression. And then I tried this. And so for two weeks, I ate fruit. She doesn't say two weeks. She doesn't say anything like that. That was just my extreme thinking. And I did it. And what happened was, it was literally on, on January 1st. I think it was exactly January 1st. For the first time in two years, because I was constantly having, I was having my devotions every single day. I would, I would go and spend hours seeking God out in nature, literally trying to confess my sins, paying thousands of dollars to try to, to uh, you know, say, listen, man, I, I did this in the past. I want to try to make this right. I was doing everything I could to try to make my life right with God. I mean, spending hours confessing my sins, calling up people, trying to make my, brother, I'm sorry for what, I, what I've done or what I've said. And I mean, literally, I was doing anything I could to try to make my life right with God, reading my Bible every day, reading the Spirit of Prophecy every day. And I was just totally, totally depressed and I felt guilty and but every time I would try to make something right it never did anything for me nothing it just continued that way well after two weeks of this for the first time in two years I could choose where I would focus my thoughts I could choose what I wanted to think about and my wife did it it actually changed her life also she wasn't living in depression all the time but she, it, it ended up enhancing her health and enhanced mine. It did so many things for me. So my wife and I went on, basically, we, we, don't, we don't just eat fruits. We eat plenty of greens. We eat plenty of vegetables, sweet potatoes. And, and we eat a whole food, plant-based diet where we eat a non-refined food diet. But I had already been doing that. I'd already been eating non-refined foods for, I don't know how long. Yeah, we had been eating for, for quite some time. We'd been eating literally no refined foods. I mean, nothing. So, but what happened was, as I began to do this, within two weeks, my mind began to clear, and I noticed something changed. And I could now choose where I focus my thoughts. The depression began to go away. And I look back on it. My grandfather died of a gallbladder surgery. My grandmother had gallbladder surgery. My aunt had it. And I was having all these pains. And one of my doctor friends from Texas said, listen, uh, you need to avoid even you know, refined oils if you want to get rid of this without having your gallbladder cut out. And listen, if I had to, I would have had the gallbladder cut out. But she said, I said, could, could it actually reverse it? And she said, I hope so. I don't know. And so I tested it. Well, I found out since now that there was a doctor out of Weimar some years ago who talked about they had actually done scans on people, saw that they had stones. They put them on a non-refined plant food diet with no oil, and they scanned them again. And guess what? No more stones. 
And so the pain ended up going totally away. I look back on all the things I had. I used to have achy joints. The achy joints have gone away. I'd stopped running because of achy joints, but I still worked out, but I just didn't run. But the achy joints have gone away. The, uh, I used to have migraines. The migraines went away. Uh, I used to have hypoglycemia before meals. That's completely gone away even though I eat tons of fruit. So you'd think, you know, wouldn't that make you hypoglycemic? Not at all. Once I got rid of the, the high-fat diet, um, it got rid of my depression. It, it gave me in a tremendous amount of energy, more energy than I've had in my entire life as I began to do this. Uh, what, seemed to, what seemed to be the gallbladder pain, you know, from eating all this high-fat food, uh, we just figured that's what it was. That ended up going away. Uh, asthma went away and allergies went away. I mean, so many different things, it changed my life. And... I'm not telling anybody to be as extreme as I was, but I was, you know, I'd gone through so many years of depression. It totally changed my life. But one of the things I do challenge people is eat more whole foods, more, you know, beans and more sweet potatoes and more greens and, and more fruit. I mean, if you eat, you know, three yesterday, you could eat four today and, and make progressive changes and find the benefits that go along with this. I shared this in another country uh, to, to medical students and um, one, of the, one of the doctors came to me just this year. We, we went back to the same country. One of the medical doctors, he said he wanted to pick us up and, and he said, listen, I was struggling with depression. He said, I implemented what you said. We share more about than just this. We talk about the other eight laws of health and so forth. And he said, I shared what you said. And it's been, he said, it's been helping him out. He had struggled, you know. I know, you know, I talk with friends who you're going through so many crazy hours of working as a doctor. Many people struggle with depression. Some don't, praise the Lord. But those who do, finding something, trying, you know, adding more fruits, vegetables to your diet can be absolutely life changing. Now, I'm going to close with prayer, and then we'll have a quick question and answer time. So let, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the principles you've given us in these old books we've been given. That time and time again, even, the, even the most, some of the most extreme-sounding statements end up being backed by scientists who know nothing about our faith. We thank you that you've given us these health principles. And one of the reasons you gave us the health message, we're told, is to make us happy. That you care about us and you want what's best for our lives. We thank you for your love. Lord, I pray that you would transform us all into the likeness of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, when does our second presentation start? Is it at 420? Yeah. Oh, snap. Uh, let's see. Sorry. Uh, Okay, quick questions. Yes, yes. Oh, you want me to answer your question? Okay, so, so the question is now about uh, probiotics. Here's the thing. Probiotics historically had, we knew of very little side effects, actually no side effects to probiotics. There's one, one newer study has come out, and I think it was on people with, does anybody, uh, pancreatitis maybe? And people with pancreatitis who were taking probiotics, it increased their mortality. They were more likely to die. Uh, taking probiotics. And so I'm not saying to never take them, but what I, what I believe is that the vast majority of time, it's just like with several vitamins, like vitamin E, vitamin A. They found that people with higher levels of vitamin E, higher levels of vitamin A had lower levels of certain cancer. But then when they gave them in pill form, it actually increased 
lung cancer rates of you know, taking vitamin A. So getting it in the whole food form is generally the best. But they have done studies that found benefits to uh, probiotics also with women, with stress levels and so forth. But this is the thing, you can get that bacteria or much of the bacteria from eating a whole food plant-based diet. And how much better if you can grow stuff on your own if you have that ability. I mean, that's even a greater opportunity. Somebody else, yes, back there. Yeah, I was gonna say that I thank you for, I, I appreciate your presentation. Also, um, thank you for mentioning about fasting. I actually heard that, I don't know how scientific this is, but they say that there's nothing that regenerates neurons, but I heard that when you fast, mm -hmm. that they've done some research and that you, that's a way that neurons regenerate which right now the scientists are doing studies on what they call intermittent fasting, where you go on, and, and guess what one of the ways of doing intermittent fasting is? Eating a short time period during the day and not eating at night. Did anybody ever think of that before? <laughs> Spirit of prophecy, she told us that, right? And so it can have an actual neural benefit, and they found when you, if you have food in your gut when you should be sleeping, it actually can cause a negative impact to your hippocampus. So it can actually negative impact, impact your memory. So, yes, you. One of the biggest trends we see nowadays is the gluten-free, and then the other thing is the weak belly. They talk about yes. it's genetically modified, it's bad for you, and it causes inflammation, all sorts of problems. What do you think about that? Okay, so weak belly and all of this stuff. Number one, there is no commercially available genetically modified wheat in the United States. You can go, go talk to farmer, go look into it, you'll find the, the common idea is that wheat, unless it's organic, would be genetically modified. Now there are foods like soy, the vast majority of soy, the vast majority of corn are actually GMO. But specifically wheat, and do you know why there's no genetically modified wheat commercially available in the United States? It's because no other nation wants to buy it from us, so our farmers don't want to lose out on their international trade of wheat. So the wheat that we have, even junk white bread, is not genetically modified wheat. That doesn't mean junk white bread is good for you, it just means that it's genetic, not genetically modified. But there are some people, if somebody is literally, there's about 1% of people have celiac disease, and around 5% of people have some kind of uh, gluten intolerance, around 5% of people, that's the estimate. And so that means 94% of people, or 90, yeah, 94% of people actually, gluten can actually be fine for them and not be a problem at all. But here's the thing, if somebody actually has an intolerance or they're celiac, it would be better to avoid it. And it probably would be, I mean, yes, it would negatively impact them. I am not a believer that there's, I actually think some of that is just kind of the pop scientific idea of things that, although Wheat Belly was written by Dr. Perlmutter or whatever his name is, um, I, I, I do not believe that there's really, really good scientific evidence to back that up. That, yeah, I, I can't go on and on about it, but especially because we're sourced stuff. Anybody else have any questions before we go on? But like I said, if you want to avoid it, you can avoid it, but it's not, yeah, it actually can help, it actually can help the gut bacteria, strangely enough, yes. Yes. Where do you get your healthy fat if you don't have oils? Great question. Great question. You uh, simply you could eat olives. You could eat nut, avocados, and you could eat nuts, right? And, yeah. Yes. You, so you can eat and, and seeds. Flax seeds. Flax seeds are fantastic for you, right? Flax seeds, hemp seeds, chia seeds. So you still do need good fat, by the way. You still do want good fat. 
but yes, but you want the fiber with it, especially if you struggle with depression, you want the fiber with it. The fiber is so very, very important. Any other questions before we close? Yes? Uh, comments on Comments on fermented foods. Yeah, good question. Um, so fermented foods, that's one of the big things in uh, the microbiome. The idea is my persuasion on that, uh, and you'll have to study the science behind it more, is Ellen White talks about the negative effects of what? Vinegar, right? And many people say, no, having you know, fermented foods, you know, vinegar and these kind of things would actually be beneficial for you. But the thing is, Vinegar can actually have a negative impact on the lining of the esophagus or on the stomach. So even if there were some benefit to it, if it has a negative side effect, why not get all the benefits of these things from whole plant-based foods rather than the, I mean, vinegar is a form of being rotten, right? You know, And so you can get, yes, it lowers blood pressure, vinegar does, but if you go on a whole food plant-based diet with nothing refined, your blood pressure will almost guaranteed drop to a level that is within the healthy zone anyway. So you don't have to have it to, but in general, I'm not persuaded that we should go with the... Uh, Yes, yes, the biblical perspective is a whole, you know, it's, it's the whole person instead of just taking the good with the bad. So, yes, one more question, then we'll close. Soy products. Soy, products. Uh, soy I, I don't know, I, what I can say is this. So, like I said, the vast majority of soy is GMO unless you get it organic. organic. Nothing that's organic is allowed to be GMO. That's how you know, meaning because they don't have to label things, but if it is organic, it is non-GMO, at least by faith we take them that they're being honest with us. I mean, you'd never know. But so soy is beneficial. We look at people say, well, maybe soy has estrogen mimickers and that'll ra raise levels of you know, breast cancer or various cancers. They actually find that, that women who take soy ha or eat soy products have lower levels of breast cancer. They look at the Japanese who eat nine times more soy than Americans do, and yet they have lower levels of cancer. So soy can be beneficial too, but I would just think the best idea is not to go GMO. Just a thought, but you know, somebody can have different opinions, that's okay. Well, let's close because, or else we won't get done. Did you have one more back there? Okay. Can I just make a Yes. Yes. I have to clear my conscience for saying this, but one caution about wheat and other grains, they are not GMO, except they do spray them for crop Now that's true, that's true. So you still wanna be careful and buy, if any wheat still buy organic wheat and organic Yes, with, yes, with Roundup. So yes, yes, it is better to go the GM around. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.